listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season, lutheranpublicradio.org. The following is an encore presentation of Issues Etc. For every season of the church here, there is a, a handful of hymns that truly capture the tenor of that season. Advent is upon us, and Advent is usually viewed as pre-Christmas. It has a penitential kind of a notion to it. It also heralds the end of the church year in a lot of ways. But there's a feature of Advent that I think we sometimes miss, unless we are singing a hymn like, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. Advent comes upon the original advent that is christ's coming into the world in human flesh in a very surprising shocking perhaps even a fearful way the message of john the baptist set men's hearts out of balance they were fearful for the judgment that was coming upon them john the baptist was warning them of dire consequences for their sins and maybe we've lost some of that in the season of Advent. Maybe we can regain some of that as we study the hymn, Hark, a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. on this Friday afternoon, November the 29th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be studying the hymn, Hark, a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. Pastor Will Whedon will join us. An hour from now, we'll look forward to the first Sunday in Advent according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor David Peterson of Gottesdienst, the Journal for Lutheran Liturgy. Pastor Will Whedon is a regular guest. He's assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, host of a daily short-form Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, and he's author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. Will, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Todd. What a joy to be with you. Introduce us again to the season of Advent. I love Advent. Advent is like it is such a joyous season in so many ways, and the joy of Advent is its brutal truth. It looks, it invites you to look into the truth of what really is. One of the prayers of Advent, the prayer, in fact, that's used the first Sunday in Advent, so coming up very shortly, you're going to hear these words, you know, rescue us from the threatening perils of our sins. And the reason we need Advent is exactly what you pointed out in the introduction here. We need Advent because we continue to snooze along, to sleep, and not realize, whoa, these sins are not, they, they are not neutral. They are threatening you. And the sin in your life, therefore, is not ever your friend. It's always your enemy. And we need the one whom John the Baptist will point us to, to be the one who comes into our lives to destroy that sin. In our lives. And so the whole theme of Advent as get ready for the judgment of God is really beautiful. You mentioned that Advent could even be described as the end of the church year. There's some very fascinating um, work that I believe Thomas Talley did where he showed that uh, in some of the medieval 
um, documents the beginning of the church year is actually Christmas. Well, then it makes sense that Advent, with its focus on he's coming again in judgment, are you prepared, really matters. But if you are accenting that he is coming again in judgment, then you need to know about the one that John the Baptist is sent to introduce you to, because he is the only way that any of us will be able to stand before the judgment and not be condemned in Christ. And I know that Advent is technically the beginning of the church year, but I had a pastor once point out to me that we don't celebrate the end of the church year on one Sunday. It starts, the end of the church year starts on one Sunday, and it lasts all through Advent, because everything that we get in that end of the church year is made tangible in the appearance of John the Baptist and his heralding the coming of Christ. Yeah, John is such a huge figure in in the whole season of Advent. This is so really, this is so great. I mean, Herod thought, I'm going to chop that guy's head off and I'm going to shut him up. And nobody's ever been able to shut John the Baptist up because his word, because it was the word of the Lord that endures forever, it's a word that he continues to preach and to proclaim throughout all these centuries. And every single Advent, John comes back onto the stage of the church again before the ears of the faithful and does his great work of preparing the way of the Lord and summoning us to prepare to meet our God who comes to us in the flesh. This hymn is going to kind of use verbs that are intended to wake us up. Uh-huh. It is a thrilling voice, hark, and, hark, <laughs> and then startled and all of these things. And then Christ suddenly appears yeah. as the yeah. Lamb of God. There is that aspect of the season of Advent too, isn't there? I mean, God breaks into history. I mean, this is the whole point. The one who is the creator of all shows up as a creature and the creation freaks, right? The, 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 the star in the sky, you you have the, uh, the angels singing praise to the shepherds above the fields. You have everybody being in awe, all except for man who is blind to the reality happening for him, unless God lets us in on the secret, right? You know, even people take that passage in, in Isaiah 1, you know, the, the beautiful little legend about you know the, the ox and the donkey, they know their master's crib. So the idea that the animals see him and know who he is when he's laying there in the manger, oh, look, there's our creator. But man is blind to it. So yeah, there's this sudden startling re- realization that the creator himself actually has come among us. John's the guy who fingers him, who points him out and says, there he is. And notice in the gospel, according to St. Luke, he begins doing that in his mother's womb. <laughs> when, when, when Elizabeth is six months pregnant with John and Mary comes into the house bearing Jesus in her womb, Jesus as in the Ark of the Covenant, if you will, John immediately confesses him, does this leap of joy. The Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth and she confesses what her son has just taught her. Oh, <laughs> Into my presence has come this one who is really the creator of all. Beautiful story. So this hymn has, I want you to talk about the origins of this hymn, not only in terms of its authorship, but also in terms of how it was part of a a new way of using hymns in the divine service. Yeah, this is really a, a very cool thing. This is one of these classic, what we call office hymns. So that means it's a hymn that was usually sung in the church's daily morning and evening prayer, matins and vespers. Or actually, in this case, it was actually sung at the office called Lauds, which is the the daybreak office. And nobody knows who wrote it. A lot of people attribute it over the years to St. Ambrose because it's in the sort of form that Ambrose set forward, these little quatrains that rhyme, and they're very easy to to hear and memorize and sing. That's the form of the office hymns. And, And 
most of the time the office just follows, you know, it sings about the time of the day you're in. But when you come into the great festivals of the church here, the great seasons of the church here, it will begin to reflect what's going on in the church here. And that's what happens here. This hymn was anciently used throughout the entirety of Advent to be the morning hymn. So it's the morning hymn during Advent. It starts, we don't know for sure when it actually was written. I think our, our hymnal companion will suggest somewhere between 500 and 1,000. <laughs> so, you know, somewhere in that medieval period, out comes this hymn, like so many of the others. And what was unique for the Lutherans was they they took these office hymns and they said, nah, we're not just going to sing that in the the morning prayer and the evening prayer, which in in Lutheran use in the 16th or 17th century would mostly have involved the school children singing. Prior, it would have been the monks singing. But they said, this needs to be for the congregation too. So the congregation would be able to sing it. But they also did not bother to ever translate this. So this is not one of the Lutheran hymns that was ever put into German. This is one that they just kept singing in Latin. And they had a lot of them that they just kept using this way. But then, of course, when Latin drops out of our church sometime in the 18th century, you then have the loss of so many of these hymns. This was one of them. We no longer sang it. Lutherans did sing it before. You can see it in the Magdeburg Cantica Sacra from 1613. It's listed right there as the morning hymn during Advent. So you you expect it to be sung during the, the daily prayer services then. And like I said, also during the uh, the divine service. In our use, it gets put on the third Sunday of Advent as the hymn of the day. So everybody gets to sing it now, this very ancient, beautiful hymn. And I think it's interesting that they grew out of the the, the daily prayer office because that's the place that's devoted to the, I mean, people say, well, what is that? That's, that's the place where the church gathered together and prayed the Psalms. And the Psalms always, the Psalms are like rabbits. They just beget like crazy, right? They beget new music. So always in response to the psalmody of David, the church's, treasury of hymnody grows. It literally grows right out of the Psalter. And so this is one of those pieces that grows out from it. So that, that's not surprising. I mean, no. the, sing to the Lord a new song. <laughs> the Psalter is the Bible's hymnal. Right. It is a divinely inspired hymnal yeah. that the church has used both the Old and the New Testament. Her, it's her prayer book, her hymn book. Yeah. Right. When Jesus and his disciples in the upper room sing a hymn, they're singing a, a psalm. psalm. I like yeah. to think that maybe they're singing Psalm 22 in advance of what Christ will suffer. But I never knows? thought of that. Hmm. And the supper he's just given. But they're singing a psalm. Yeah. So that it would, as you say, kind of procreate. Right. New new songs yeah. is not surprising. Uh, you know, there, there's a great line in one of our hymns. And did not Jesus sing a hymn that night when uh, utmost evil strove against the light. So let us sing for whom he won the fight. Hallelujah. So you get this impression of the joy that we have. The Psalter will give you Jesus and the joy that you have in Jesus, the new thing that he does, the forgiveness of sins, the destruction of death, the joy of an eternal home that is guaranteed to you. This sparks songs. And so these office hymns grow. We should probably also note that the tune here is not the traditional Gregorian tune. It's actually far easier. This is a sturdy Anglican tone called Merton, written by William Monk. What would you say is the primary biblical text for the entire Mm -hmm. hymn? I know you don't like being asked big general questions. You know what? It's hard to say there's a primary biblical text for sure, but I do think the one that rings in my ear the most throughout the entire hymn 
is the epistle reading for the first Sunday in Advent, which doesn't mention John the Baptist at all, but it does mention that we need to get rid of these works of darkness. Christ is coming, and we need to be done with the works of darkness. We'll talk about it as we work our way through the stanzas, but I think that sort of get rid of the works of darkness and prepare yourself for the advent of the light, that's the real theme of the entire hymn. The first stanza of Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. Hark a thrilling voice is sounding. Christ is near, we hear it say. Cast away the works of darkness, all you children of the day. There's a lot in these very four simple, the very simple four lines of yeah. the stir stanza. Yeah, you, you can't help but, but I mean, obviously the thrilling voice is John the Baptist. So it invites us to think about how the Gospels depict what happened there. And they all start with John the Baptist in one way or another. So in Luke 3, I mean, obviously Luke starts with John the Baptist in chapter 1. But when you get to Luke 3, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, the Tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, governor or Tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice, hark a thrilling voice, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And Mark similarly begins the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Matthew the same way. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the one spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John wore a garment of camel's hair and leather around his waist, his food, locust and wild honey. When Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And then it gets even more explicit in John's telling. Because he has this, <laughs> they want to know, you know, the officials from Jerusalem sent to him, the, the priests and the Levites, they ask him, who are you? So he confessed and he did not deny, I am not the Christ. So they said to him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, no. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? What's John going to say about himself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So who is John? John is the voice. And what does the voice say? Well, the hymn has it, cast away the works of darkness, 
all you children of the day. So if you go back to Luke's description, he tells them concretely what this means, right? He said to the crowds who came to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, you sons of snakes, who are you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And don't be saying to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. God's able to raise up from these stones, children to Abraham. Now the ax is laid to the root of the tree. And if the tree does not bear good fruit, it is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds throw up their hands saying, what are we supposed to do? And he said, so if you have two tunics, share with the one who has none. If you have food, do likewise. Tax collectors came to be baptized. He said, they said, teacher, what should we do? He said, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers came. What are we supposed to do? Stop extorting money by threats and by false accusation. Be content with your wages. So he gives them all these, you know, works of repentance, works that would show that they had actually heard and turned from the works of darkness in their lives. And then I, I mentioned the epistle for the first Sunday in Advent. I think that's at the heart of cast away the works of darkness. Romans 13, 11 to 14. Listen to these words. Besides this, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, and not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The second stanza we will talk about on the other side of this break. Startled at the solemn warning, let the earthbound soul arise. Christ, its son, all sloth dispelling, shines upon the morning skies. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We are studying the Advent hymn. Hark, a thrilling voice is sounding. Stanza two is next. week on the word of the Lord endures forever. We finish up the prophet Micah with what does the Lord require? Destruction of the wicked, awaiting the salvation of God. Rejoice not, O enemy, and who is a God like you? Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for the word of the Lord endures forever. Your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or on your favorite podcast provider. Our children are always a blessing to us, but not only are we blessed by them, but we have opportunities to bless them as well. Pastor Christopher Nuttleman, in the December issue of The Lutheran Witness, takes up the topic of blessing your children, how to bless them in your home with the Word of God and prayer. To learn more, pick up your copy of the December issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe or visit witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Sanctifying your exercise routine with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. If only we could see and hear what takes place in the divine service. The Holy God's voice pours out eternal gifts. Sinners are washed in cleansing water that saves them from death. The Son of God gives his body and blood for us, the food of immortality. The church on earth blends her voice with angels and saints in glory to praise our God. 
These wondrous mysteries take place at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Stevensville, Montana, 184 Pine Hollow Road. Call 406-777-5625 or find us on Facebook. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Stanza two of the Advent hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Our guest is Pastor Will Whedon. He hosts a daily short-form Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. You can listen to this 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study at your convenience at thewordendures.org, thewordendures.org. So what would you say about, this is the reaction and I love it, startled by this solemn warning that there is, as you said before, there is a sloth that characterizes us according to the flesh, that we must be awakened from this. Right. We need to be startled by it. You know, I don't think anything has ever gripped me on this quite so much as spending time in Johann Gerhardt's Scola Pietatis. It's available from uh, Repristination Press. And I think it was in his actually the second volume, I think, or it might have been the first. I can't remember. But he just actually goes through the day of judgment and the terrors of hell. And it does it in such a way that by the time I was done reading it, oh my goodness, Todd, I was like, I, Lord, please don't let me fall into sin. That would displease you. I mean, it really did startle. And at the same time, it produced very, you know, it produces a godly fear to actually meditate on the threats of God's word against sin. You have mentioned this before. This, I mean, it's still so much with me. I can't get rid of it. It's huge. I'm struck by, I'm looking at the Latin of the text, and it's, it's the numb mind arises. This, we are numb to the word of God. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 we get so used to the words rolling over us that we don't actually bother to hear what they say, and that's terrible. So like the passages I want to draw our attention to about this solemn warning CFW Walther, he, he had a beautiful thing where he said, pastors, you really need to preach. When these texts come up, you need to preach these texts without compromise so that the people hear the law with all its clarity and terror, that it actually then can produce true terror of conscience so that they can then flee to Christ. Listen, Galatians 5, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Here's the warning. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. Underline those words, people of my God. Don't let anybody tell you that it's otherwise than what the apostle here says. Similarly, in Ephesians 5, he's got the same message. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this. Underline it. He's saying this is something you can bank on. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Oh my goodness. We need to hear that and take it to heart. He meant every word he said there. And St. Paul is also really clear in 2 Corinthians 5.10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what was done in the body, whether good or evil. If that doesn't produce some real terror on the hearts of people, they're just not listening to what he's saying. We were talking about this during the break. The church is the only source of this message. Yeah. As you said, John the Baptist, we haven't been able to shut him up. Yeah, no. But the world has no sense. No. That there is an impending judgment yeah. and no sense of that the seriousness of sin. Yeah. In fact, you know, we've entered again another phase of our civilization where we celebrate yeah, let's celebrate the sin. It's like, and we're required to celebrate. Right, sin you will cases. celebrate this, and we're like, oh, you can't. This you're asking us to celebrate that, which is dragging you to hell, and 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 the terror that that should produce in us is really uh, profound. So you have this: let the earthbound soul arise, arise. Remember Ephesians five. Paul would go on to say. Anything that becomes visible is light. And that's why it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Or Isaiah 60, arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. See, it's not just that the terror is there to to have you be trembling, but that with the terror, you then turn to him who alone can give you the light. You arise to him. The Lord will arise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. His glory, Christ, its son, all sloth dispelling. Boy, I wish we had time to unpack all of the biblical teaching about this acedia, this, the sloth. It's a, th- that thing that just absolutely drags you down with distraction. That's really what it is. And it makes you be depressed and not willing to do anything because you just are so befuddled and distracted. But here, chasing that away, like darkness being chased away by the light, Christ, its sun, all sloth dispelling, shines upon the morning skies. Remember how Malachi will say, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Malachi and John the Baptist are wed at the hip, remember. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. But the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. You will go out leaping like calves from the stall. Or you think about how Zacharias in the first chapter of St. Luke talking to his newborn child says, you child 
will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give his people knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of their sins. Why? Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. So John the Baptist comes handing off this stern warning, which as you point out, the church's ministry picks up when they preach the law of God without compromise to the people, lay it before them, at which point the earthborn souls begin to take notice, no longer mind numb. But all of a sudden they set up and go, Lord, have mercy. And God in great love says, exactly, I have had mercy. His name is Jesus. You mentioned a word, acedia, yeah. sloth, or the one that stands out to me today in our context, apathy. Apathy, yeah, right. Yeah, these are all just sort of, uh, you know, uh, ways that we're trying to get all the concepts of that that sin into our English language. Yeah, apathy is another great way to translate it. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest, host of a daily short-form Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. On the other side of the break, we'll be looking at stanza three. See, the lamb so long expected comes with pardon down from heaven. Let us haste with tears of sorrow, one and all to be forgiven. That's the hymn we're studying. Hark, a thrilling voice is sounding. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Thanks to you, Issues Etc. consistently ranks among the top podcasts in religion and spirituality with Apple Podcasts. Please help us reach more listeners in 2024 by making a year-end gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening. And thanks for your support. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Memoria Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press. Saving Western Civilization, one student at a time. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm
yes to God in His ways. Theology for Blue Collar, White Collar, and Clerical Collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Bethlehem Lutheran, Altamont, Illinois. Faith Lutheran, Capistrano Beach, California. Holy Cross Lutheran, Albany, Oregon. Emmanuel Lutheran, Osceola, Iowa. Mount Calvary Lutheran, Excelsior Springs, Missouri. Peace Lutheran, St. Louis, Missouri. Resurrection Lutheran, Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada. St. John Lutheran, Topeka, Kansas. St. Paul Lutheran, Wildwood, Missouri. And Trinity Lutheran, Waterville, Minnesota. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including issues, etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Stands of three of the Advent hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. Will, this is kind of a paraphrase of John's great proclamation of Christ to be the Lamb of God. Yeah, I mean, everything in that first chapter of John leads up to that moment where the Baptist points his finger, you know, as Jesus is coming toward him. You can see that uh, <laughs> the artists really get this, this elongated finger of John. He's all the prophets point to Jesus, but John is the actual physical finger that at the end points him out and says, look, looky there, behold, see with your ears, not with your eyes. This one is the Lamb of God and he takes away the sin of the world. But it's interesting that the hymn describes him as the lamb so long expected. And that really brings you back to think deeply about what you hear in Genesis 22. Remember that incredible scene where God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son whom he loves, whose name is Laughter, to take him up onto the mountain that he will show him and offer him as a burnt offering. And you remember as they're finally trudging up the last bit of the hill, Isaac looks around and goes, ah, dad's getting old. I think you forgot something. My father, where's the lamb for the offering? And Abraham speaks words of incredible faith at that point. He says, God himself will provide or see to and a lamb for the offering, my only son. And when we get to the offering itself, Isaac, of course, dramatically rescued at the last minute by God intervening from heaven. And then Abraham lifts up his eyes and what does he see? What does he see caught in the thicket by its horns? A lamb? No, a ram. And so the saying arises from this. On the mountain of the Lord, God will, it will be provided. It will be provided. Not that it has been provided. It will be provided. There is going to come the one of which that ram was only a very dim shadow and type. There is coming one who will rescue from death itself. And Isaiah in chapter 53, verse 7, he actually spills the beans that that lamb 
is going to be a man. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb. He is led to the slaughter like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. And when John points him out, he says, this is the one. This is the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. So he comes from heaven to actually give you pardon, to take away sin. He would be very explicit about this in his own words. In John 3, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So then, let us haste with tears of sorrow, one and all to be forgiven. If that doesn't evoke in your mind one picture from Scripture, I want to know why. Do you remember from Luke 7, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. He went to the Pharisee's house. He reclined at table. And behold, a woman who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, weeping, tears of sorrow. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And remember, the Pharisee, of course, gets his nose bent out of joint. If this guy were were the real deal, he'd know that that woman is a sinner. And so Jesus asks him, Simon, you know, I, I have something to ask you. And he tells him the story of the debtors, the one who had a little bit of debt and the one who had a big amount of debt. And both of them got forgiven. Which one's going to love the most? And the answer comes back, I guess the one who was forgiven the most. And Jesus is like, yeah, can you see? She gets it. She gets it. She knows her sins and she knows how much I've forgiven her. And therefore she loves much. A beautiful, beautiful story. So haste with tears of sorrow, one and all to be forgiven. Jesus always welcomes our tears of repentance at his feet. Stanza four. So when next he comes in glory and the world is wrapped in fear, he will shield us with his mercy and with words of love draw near. It's interesting that the hymn has this dual message. Watch out, wake up. He's coming again in judgment. Very John the Baptist-y. Mm-hmm. And when he arrives, he will shield you with his mercy. Almost like you might say they understood law and gospel, huh? <laughs> yeah. When next he comes in glory. That's one of the things that the entirety of the New Testament bears witness to. And Jesus himself stated it in Matthew 25, 31. He said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So when he comes this next time, when he is unveiled here at the end of all things, it's going to be with a glory that will not be able to be mistaken. It's the same 
kind of glory that you see shining from him on the Mount of the Transfiguration, or the glory that John saw in Revelation 1, where beholding the glory of the Son of Man, he fought, John, John, the guy who leaned on his breast at the Last Supper, but seeing him in his glory unveiled, he falls down at his feet as though dead. And yet, in that glory, Jesus comes and says, you do not need to be afraid. It is me. I'm the first and the last and the living one, and I died, and now I'm alive forevermore, and I've got the keys of death, and I've got the keys of hell. Come home. The world being wrapped in fear. This is another big theme throughout the scriptures that when the moment of the unveiling happens, when Christ appears in his glory, the world's response is going to be terror. Listen to Jesus' own words again from Luke 21 starting at verse 26, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I know I referenced it a hundred times, but I just think it's such a great little bit from Luther's sermon on that passage in Luke, where he says, it's like you've been taken captive by an enemy and he's locked you in his dungeon. And one day as you're sitting there, you suddenly hear boom and the walls begin to shake and you're, 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 you're terrified till you look out the window and see It's your prince, and he's come to bust you out of there and bring you back home, to bring you back to what's really yours. He does this for you, and all of a sudden, the the place crumbling around you doesn't frighten you anymore. It's like, yeah, yeah, bring the walls down and bring me out. That's how it will be for his own when that comes. Hebrews 10 describes it like this. Yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. My righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back... My soul has no pleasure in him. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This shrinking back is an image Lewis uses in the last battle where, you know, when they see Aslan in his glory, there's, they shrink off into the shadow on the left. They they can't abide it, but others run to him. Now, first John 2, 28 also, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If people think of the last day and they think of it's just as doomsday as a day of terror, they've totally lost this beautiful thought of the last day, which just permeated the early church, where whenever they thought of the last day, the only prayer that could arise from their lips was, Maranatha, come, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus. And throughout the season of Advent, we're going to hear this cry. Come, come, Lord Jesus. Not in fear, not in terror, but it's like, come bring us our rescue. Bust us out of this place, Lord. Bring us home. On the other side of the break, we will hear and talk about the final stanza of Hark a Thrilling Voice is sounding with Pastor Will Whedon. Honor, glory, might, dominion to the Father and the Son with the ever-living Spirit while eternal ages run.
The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December uses detailed illustrations and rhyming text to tell the story of Jesus' birth. It's titled, N is for Nativity. This new hardcover children's book is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about N is for Nativity at issuesetc.org. Use the ABCs from Advent to Zion to teach your children and grandchildren the Christmas story with N is for Nativity. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. More topics, more guests, more Jesus. You're listening to Issues Etc. With the oldest deaconess program of the LCMS, Concordia University Chicago has fully certified young women for the deaconess vocation for more than 40 years. I'm Deaconess Kristen Wasilak, Program Director for Deaconess Studies. Help us identify the next generation of servants to care for souls, engage our communities in mercy, and teach God's Word. Learn more about Concordia Chicago's Deaconess Program today at cuchicago.edu. cuchicago.edu. Do you long for a church that celebrates the divine service with reverence and joy, but without the unbiblical baggage imposed by a supposedly infallible hierarchy? Do you long for a church that confesses a divinely instituted office of the holy ministry for the giving of the Lord's gifts to his people and yet values and lifts high the priesthood of all believers? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We're what you've been looking for. Find an historic, authentic church near you on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org. Final stanza of the Advent hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. This recording of Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding is on a new CD featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. It contains all of the hymns of the day for Advent and Christmas, those seasons. We'll send it to you and a recording of our 2019 Issues Etc. Making the Case conference for a year-end tax-deductible gift of $300 to Issues Etc. You can make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org. You can also contribute by check, make your $300 check payable to Issues Etc., and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Be sure to write audio DVD or thumb drive in the memo line of your check. Thanks for listening, and thanks for keeping Issues Etc. in mind at the end of 2019. What would you say about this doxology hymn? The doxology to me is so appropriate for Advent because Advent can turn does have the potential, if wrongly used, to turn into nothing but penitence and very little praise. Yeah, if we don't read Advent correctly, we can end up just being wallowing in, in on ourselves. But Advent really is designed to teach you to look into yourself and go, oh, ick, God have mercy, and to turn out and then 
realizing the mercy that you've been given in Christ to end in praise. All of these hymns that come to us from the daily office, the divine office, they all end in these little stanzas of doxology. It is a standard feature. If, if you go through the hymnal and look at all those little triangles, most of them come from, from the office hymns that, that, that the church has been singing. Is and that I'm, a psalm thing? Is that a... Yeah, is I'm, that a Gloria Patri thing? Yeah, exactly. So if you're, you've just been singing this altar, and in the church's use of the Psalter, every single psalm ends with glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. And so you have the exact same thing ready here. You come to the end of the hymn, you're going to put the little Gloria Patri at the end, but you're going to rhyme it just like you've rhymed to the rest of the the hymn. So that's what you have in this. You have honor, glory, might, dominion to the Father and the Son with the ever-living Spirit while eternal ages run. I mean, you can hear it. It's just the Gloria Patri again, but put into a, a verse form. But what that does is it links us up to where, well, I don't think you've ever really finished your way working through John the Baptist and his witness to Christ and the Lamb until you've actually taken it to where John, the evangelist, wraps up the New Testament. So in Revelation chapter 5, you remember verse 8, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sing a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God. They will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Martin Kimnitz says, this is the fulfillment of what Paul was talking about in Philippians 2, where he says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says, you don't have to guess what it means. <laughs> John gives you what it means in Revelation chapter 5. So everything enters into this great praise and glorification of the Lamb of God. And notice how the Lamb of God is always denoted as the one who sheds his blood, the one who by his death has set the people of God free. Let's hear the entire Advent hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding, then get Pastor Whedon's final thoughts.
Pastor Whedon, your final thoughts on this Advent hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. Oh, people loved by God. God has provided a way for you to actually be freed from your sins by turning to Jesus Christ and taking refuge in him so that your whole life becomes a looking forward to that wonderful day when he appears. And when he appears, you'll know that the one appearing is the lamb who took away the sin of the world. And he's coming to shield you with his mercy and drawing near to you. And he will bring you into the praise of heaven that goes on forever and ever. That's the joy of Advent. Don't lose it. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's host of a daily short-form Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, and he's authored the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. Will, thank you. Thank you so much, Todd. If you've enjoyed our hymn study with Pastor Whedon in the last hour, check out The Issues Etc., Book of the Month for November, Praise and Honor, Hymn-Inspired Devotions by Pastor Timothy Shoup. You'll find out more about it at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House any weekday during regular business hours and order Praise and Honor, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Up next, we'll look forward to the first Sunday in Advent, according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor David Peterson. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay with us. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., PO Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. How can conspiracy theories become a form of idolatry? I've written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled, Yes, Elvis is Dead, But God is in His Heaven, a pastoral response to conspiracy theories. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Julie Stegemeyer writes about her path from Methodism to Lutheranism. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Repentance and forgiveness, sin and grace, law and gospel. More than cliches, real preaching for real people in need of hearing the real Christ. Christ for you in the divine service at St. Paul Lutheran Church of Hamill, Illinois, where we gather every Saturday night at 6 and on the Lord's Day, Sunday mornings at 7.45 and 10. Look for the Church of the Neon Cross on I-55 between exits 30 and 33. Find us on the web, stpaullutheranchurchhamill.org. St. Paul Lutheran Church of Hamill, where there is the forgiveness of sins, life and salvation for the people of God. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season, lutheranpublicradio.org.